0: Testing, go. testing.
1: No, no, you do not need to do it. Now. Don't need to do all that
0: one. Yeah, you comfortable with this kind of talking here? Perfect. All righty, welcome to the Fish Nerds. It's a celebration of fish, fishing, and eating fish. That is always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm the Snorkel Meister. ...of the North American Native Fishes Association. And here are the nerds.
1: I'm Clay Groves, licensed fishing guide at the Fish Nerds Guide Service.
2: <laughs> and I'm Michael Frank, owner and lead guide at Frank's Fly Art Fly Fishing Guide Service
1: and anything is fair game and it's a good bet that after this week's election we all need to fish more and talk less but too bad because the podcast is all talk (laughs) uh hey mike welcome is it mike or michael mike's good hey mike welcome to the podcast and you are um the amazing james's brother yes i am well cool is that how you heard about the show
2: yes he actually let me know about you guys he told me about searching up fish nerds and finding out that you guys basically owned it <laughs> we, we are he was it. saying that he is, you are it that's true <laughs> so glad that you found him and he found you
1: it's kind of a funny world and, and the more i spend time doing this and we've done you now 100 129th show but we've been doing this for like three four years um the more i do it the more i realize what a small community the uh, online fishing community is i mean it really is a tight group of people and All kinds of people, and it's really interesting. And if you need something, fishermen, show up, which is great.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and it's a word-of-mouth kind of game. So, hey, welcome to the show. Um, Quick uh, announcement for listeners. If you're not already subscribed to the Fish Nerds podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, do it now. Every Thursday, I'm releasing a throwback episode, an old episode. Right now, we're on week nine on our throwbacks. Uh, and so you can hear the whole ancient history of the fish nerds back when uh, my co-host Dave was still on the show and we were still funny and we didn't run out of ideas. Uh, so you can get all those old episodes at iTunes or Stitcher or wherever your podcasts are. But if you're not subscribed, you might miss out every Thursday. And, of course, every Monday a new show comes out. So it's two shows a week for free, which is a good deal, even if it's not that good. So, um, Mr. Frank, sir...
2: Are you a teacher? <laughs> Is that what I hear? I Well, it's funny. That's a question I get from a lot of my guide clients. Um, I'm a full-time Spanish teacher at an elementary school down here in South Carolina, and I guide on the weekends and on vacation days. Um, so, yeah, it, it does help to have full-time benefits and health insurance when you're guiding.
1: <laughs> I know. It's a funny thing. When I, A lot of people are talk, talking to about the businesses. They tell you, it's like, Don't quit your day job. If you have a job already that pays well, it has benefits, stick it out as long as you can before you dump it all and become a guide, Um, which I think is pretty good advice. Now, I have a show coming up in a few weeks that's going to be Guide Service Nightmares. It's just a collaboration of a bunch of guys I've got recorded talking about their worst guided trip, and I understand, Mr. Frank, that uh, you have a story you want to tell.
2: Well, yes, I do. I you know, I, have to say I really liked your podcast about the New Hampshire Guide School, mm-hmm. and uh, there were a lot of good tips in there that I probably kind of found out on my own over time um, doing this myself. Uh, I kind of came into guiding on my own. Uh, it was just something I always wanted to do back when I lived in Washington, D.C., um, where I would go out on National Mall and fish Constitution Gardens, and I guided lots of tourists to their first bluegill on the fly and got a chance to talk to people from all over the world. Uh, people just walk up to me and talk about fishing in Russia or Minnesota or Mexico.
1: Isn't that, isn't um, that the fun of fishing, how like every culture, every kind of person uh, has a fishing story to tell? It's like that. Yeah, I, it's, I always look at fishing as like that equalizer. When people ask me why I do the Fish Nerds podcast, it's it's that thing that everyone, no matter what culture you're from, you have a conversation you can start with right there.
2: Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I I get a kick out of it. That's part. Of, that's probably the best part about guiding is the fact that I get to talk to these people who have fished all over the world, and everybody's got a different perspective on on fishing and how they fish. Um, people come to me to learn to fly fish a lot of times, so I learn just as much from my clients as I teach sometimes. Um, but no, I, I growing up on Long Island, um, my brother actually wrote that article recently for the um, the book, the ebook that we're planning here on Fish Nerds, mm-hmm. and his comments about the guys hanging out. On the dock, um, the day that he caught his big bluefish, I hope, hope I'm not spoiling it here. Were yeah, uh, very on point. I mean, I it was. I would hang out with people as a kid at the docks in Huntington Harbor that my parents would never let me hang out with otherwise if I wasn't fishing. And uh, it is. It's definitely a community where everybody helps each other out and um shares techniques and and just has a great time i mean everybody gets along Every, everybody I, i've never met a fisherman i didn't get along with let's put it that way
1: well that's because you have that common thread you've got that thing that sticks you together now but but you're a guide and we want to get into the meat of this like your your kind of nightmare fishing trip your worst experience
2: <laughs> well let's see i i thought about this for a while and and doesn't happen all the time but um one of my favorite stories has to do with my my second guide adrian kachur um he and i became friends pretty quickly when i first moved down here to to columbia i saw him fishing in lake murray in february and he was throwing spinnerbaits in the lake and and i wondered if he was actually catching anything uh being a yankee from new york i'd already realized that it's You can catch fish here just about year round. I lived in Durham, North Carolina for three years. And while I was there, the locals told me that I had brought the Yankee weather with me because it just so happened that two two winters during the time I was living there, we had ice storms.
1: Oh, good times. (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah. I didn't think it was anything unusual until the lady whose son owned a pond that I fished um, who was 95 years old, I believe, wow, told me that uh, she had never seen Little River Lake freeze in her entire life. Um, that, that in itself is a story. She, I, I met her when I first moved to Roxboro, North Carolina. It's about 35 miles from Durham. And I actually went and walked up to the pond. I was going to walk up to the door of the house. It was just off of the highway and ask permission. And she was walking by. I asked her permission to fish the pond and explained, you know, I'm just going to fly fish. I'll throw all the fish back. just want to catch and release. And she told me, oh, my son owns the pond. Just let him know that I gave you permission. So it became my little honey hole for a while.
1: Isn't that cool?
2: Two years later, I moved from Roxborough to Durham and started teaching at, at Northern High School. And the secretary was a, a bit older, an older lady. And... She seemed familiar to me. It wasn't until about a month in that I realized that she was the lady that had given me permission to fish that pond. She had, f- she had been the secretary at that high school forever.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. You know, it's funny. It reminds me of like, I love this kind of way I live my life where I try to be nice to everybody because you never know who you're talking to. Like, you just don't know. And there's a good example of like, if you're not careful, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, it comes back all the time. So
2: that's cool. So that was my experience fishing in the South before I moved to South Carolina. And I didn't know what to expect going up to Lake Murray for the first time uh, in the middle of the winter. But I saw this guy standing there throwing spinner baits into the water over and over again. And he kind of had curly hair and a darker complexion, kind of an olive complexion. And being a Spanish teacher, I, I assumed some things and <laughs> walked up to him and I, I asked him what he was fishing for. And he said, oh, you know, whatever will bite. So I recognized this as the cagey behavior that I might have if somebody asked me, you know, about my favorite fishing spot. Mm-hmm. And I started working him for information. So I told him, I said, well, is it something I could fly fish for? I said, um, you know, I, are, you, are there bass? He goes, oh, sometimes. Um, I said, well, you know, I fly fish in the river for trout and for striped bass. And he said, oh, I knew there were trout in the river, but I didn't know there were striped bass. So I tell him all about the striped bass fishing, and eventually he comes around to let me know that there are pickerel in the lake. He says, wow. we call them – yeah, uh, me too. Um, he tells me, he says, you know, where I come from, we, 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 they call them pickerel, but here they call them jackfish.
1: Really? So- are they the same fish?
2: Yes, okay. yeah, they call them jackfish here.
1: Because other places, jackfish is something very different.
2: Exactly. Yes, yeah. these are these are not saltwater fish. It's 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 your general chain pick roll. Um,
1: local fish names are just crazy.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, kind of like that Eisenhower thing with the yellow perch down here. They stocked them in the lakes during the Eisenhower administration, and that's what they call them now.
1: They call them what? Eisenhower's.
2: Eisenhower's. <laughs> really? Yep.
1: Yeah. That's my new thing all winter. Eisenhower's. <laughs>
2: so, so I, I thanked him for the information and I told him, well, you know, it's great. I'm going to break out the fly rod and see if I can't catch one. And he, he was, he seemed pretty surprised, but you know, we he said her goodbyes. And, uh, I tied a big chartreuse clouser minnow onto my eight pound test tippet on my, on my heavier fly rod, threw it near some brush. And on the second cast, I think. As I was bringing the fly near the brush, I saw the fly just disappear in a fish's mouth, and when I went to set the hook, the line just went completely limp. I mean, it sliced through that line like butter, but I was so excited. I didn't care that I'd lost the fly. I ran right back over to him. I was like, dude, thank you so much for the information. I was like, I just had a picker like, grab that fly, and well, then the dam just burst so we start talking about fishing and he explains to me that he's a teacher and he's teaching special education. Um, and I told him that at, well, at the time I was teaching English as a second language. And we kind of had a laugh over the fact that, you know, we have high stress jobs. So we like to get out and fish as often as possible. And, uh, we became fast friends within a year. We had a bass boat out there on Lake Murray and, and we're tooling around the lake. Um, so anyway, Adrian, when I started the guide service, he was an invaluable help to me. Um, I, I highly recommend if you decide you want to get into guiding, make sure you've got some good friends to lean on uh, and to help out. When I asked him where he was from, because I could tell he had sort of an accent, I assumed he was Hispanic. and But there was like a southern drawl over the accent. And he spoke English really well, but it was very hard to place him. I finally asked, you know, so where are you from? He says, Oh, I'm from Romania. Oh, wow. Never would have guessed that. <laughs>
1: That's
2: crazy. So, and, and he explained to me too that in Romania, um he had all he had all these spinnerbaits because in Romania he had seen all these bass fishing shows and all the bass pros seemed to fish with spinnerbaits. And he said, you know, in Romania, one spinnerbait costs about a week's wages. Um, so, one of the first things he did when he became a teacher here in South Carolina and was making the big American dollars was to buy an entire set of um, a, a whole tackle box full of spinnerbaits. Um, and his next purchase was a fly rod, which said, you know, very few people in Romania own fly rods. Um, that was especially impressive because he he could cast 70, 80 feet without a problem. He was he was a natural in double hauling. And when I first asked him after fishing with him for about a year how he learned how to do it, um, I asked him, you know, what videos did you watch on YouTube? What books did you read? He just said, I just picked it up and tried it and figured it out. That's impressive. <laughs> I, was, I was incredibly jealous. So I mean, it took me...
1: So Uh that's, that's amazing. So it took you a long time to get to that same point, but he just asked. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm, I'm a new fly fisher and, uh, I keep trying to make next year my year. Last year that was supposed to be my, my new year's resolution. I didn't fly fish three times. Uh, but, but this year I'm going to make it, I I have we have a new fly fishing correspondent who lives locally to me. He's going to, his job next year is to make me fly fish. So I'm going to understand your language soon.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a different language. I'll tell you what, you, you go ahead and get yourself started and come on down here. We'll uh we'll hook you up to a bunch of fish.
1: Well I'll be uh, I'll be at I'll be at Folly Beach in April.
2: Well if you if you can take a side trip, come on up to Columbia and, and get in the drift boat with me. I mean we're we'll catch uh trout, striped bass and smallmouth bass, sometimes some largemouth. there's just all sorts of stuff out there.
1: Oh, sounds great. So let's let's fast forward ahead. To your worst trips. Now you 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 and Adrian are guiding together on this.
2: Um, well, this particular trip, Adrian was my driver. And a
1: driver means person paddling the boat. No, um, no. <laughs> okay. The way the way <laughs> I my want to make sure we're talking the same language.
2: <laughs> the way my the way my trips work, um, I meet my clients at a boat ramp downstream, like actually in the city of Columbia. And they hop into my SUV with the uh, drift boat on the trailer behind the truck. Um, I then drive upstream to a place where we put in, and the rest of the trip is mainly downstream. So he um, shuttles you. So he's the – yes, he's my shuttle driver.
1: Okay, I got, I got it now.
2: And the guys that, uh, that were fishing with me that day had been in touch with me for about a month, you know, setting up the trip and um, – They were from Charleston, uh, three friends who, um, three friends who like to fish for redfish and sea trout on the coast on the weekends, they'd get together for coffee and then go out and fish. And that day, since there were three of them, um, they decided they wanted to do a kayak trip. I had these boats called freedom hawk kayaks. I still have a few of them. They're really pretty cool. Um, they're about 14 feet long. And you can paddle them. And then when you want to stand up, you pull handles on the side. The back four feet of boat is actually two separate pontoons I on a, on this. arms. Yeah, cool. yeah they're, they're cool. They really are. Um, so that's what these guys wanted to do. And I asked them about their experience before the trip, of course, to find out whether they were okay with paddling themselves and if they had any experience in kayaks or canoes. The story I got was, um, well, Dave said that he was a an eagle scout. He'd been in all sorts of canoes, kayaks. Mm-hmm. He was fine with you know any watercraft. Sure. <laughs> um, Mac, same thing. You know, he'd done some backpacking and and was fine in in whatever kind of boat we had. And then there was Tim, and. Dave assured me that Tim could handle any watercraft because he was in the merchant Marine when he he was, yeah, when he was in his twenties and this, (laughs) so
1: like this did not sound right to me on a big boat is exactly the same as kayaking.
2: Yeah. Yep. (laughs) So if you want a good guided trip, um, please do be as honest as possible with your guide about your abilities Um, I offer my, my guide service is a little unique because I actually offer a free fly casting lesson before the trip for every person involved in the trip. Um, I find that a lot of people either fish for only trout or they fish for bass Mm -hmm. in fresh water or they fish on the coast casting with light fly rods that we fish for trout doesn't always that that's a skill that doesn't always translate to casting heavy tackle like a, an eight weight fly rod with heavy flies on it for striped bass. And where I fish, we could catch an eight or 10 inch rainbow trout and sometimes even a 20 plus inch brown trout, um, through a 10 or 15 pound striped bass. So it runs the gamut and I, I provide all this different tackle, so pretty flexible stuff.
1: So you find teaching people makes a big, big difference in the outcome, right? In my
2: pre-trip interview, I got their sizes and I had brought what I thought was appropriate size waders and boots. And I met the guys at the boat ramp. They hopped in the truck with me. Everything was, everything was good. We were on our way. And on the way up, they noticed Adrian's accent and asked him where he was from. When he said that he was from Romania, um, the one guy, Tim made some kind of comment about, ah, those crazy Romanians. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know what he had against Romanians or where that even came from, but it it made things a little tense in the car on the way. He
1: wasn't being just funny. He was being serious. He
2: did seem to be pretty serious about it. I don't know why. Because I know
1: Romanians to be crazy. That's me. (laughs) <laughs> I, I around here, where I live, we live in a tourist economy, and about half of our our, our uh, winter employment are all Romanians and from uh, Eastern Europe, European countries, and they're all a lot of fun and crazy fun, like crazy positive. I don't mean in a negative way, but...
2: Right. But, this guy, it's, yeah. it, I mean, Adrian seemed to be bristling a little bit, which which it's hard to get under Adrian's skin. Sure. He's, so he's a special was, ed teacher.
1: Whatever it was, right and wrong.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we get up to the, to the put in and we carry the boats down to the water and we get suited up in our waders and boots and everything. And so we get all suited up and Dave, Dave was fine and Mac was fine. Um, and then Tim puts on his waiters and they're pretty tight. Um, and he was having trouble moving around. And he went to get down into the kayak and and the kayak didn't really fit him very well.
1: <laughs> was he a big guy?
2: Yeah, he was a pretty big guy. And it's a big kayak too, but he wasn't comfortable with having a, a soft seat on the kayak and it just it just wasn't happening. Um he claimed that the other two guys had never even told him that we were kayak fishing. He said, you know, oh I I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> so this is where the trouble began and um i told him i said well i I asked the guys i said do you guys want to go ahead and go through with the trip or you know i can refund your money um we can do it another time or take the drift boat whatever you guys want to do and um the other two guys dave and mac said hey well we're here you know the fishing's good we really want to go and and you know tim tim can find some place to hang out and you know they they talked to tim he was cool with that that was fine but what tim wanted to do was to hang out at the put-in which is up at the zoo in columbia now riverbank zoo in columbia back then was party central Uh, oh absolutely i mean i used to make the comment to my clients that uh the activity along the river gave new meaning to the term "wild and scenic river." It's actually a South Carolina state wild and scenic river. Various uh, states of inebriation going on, all sorts of behaviors.
1: So normal and, river uh, party areas. I mean, most of the country, every state has their their party party river. So that's, yeah, this this is normal. the place. Yeah,
2: and so he says, "Well, I'm just going to hang out here. I can keep the boat. I'm just going to hang out." Here. And what he didn't realize was we weren't going to be out of the river till about 10 o'clock at night. Oh my God. So, I mean, it was this afternoon and we we're going to fish through dark and, and catch some stripers after dark. So I explained this to him. He's like, I'll be fine. And, and it's just, it's we that, that location is sort of out of the way. It's not a place to be after dark. So I explained this to him and I told him, I said, you know, I can have Adrian come back and take you to a spot where you can hang out and relax. Um, and uh, it took his friend Dave, Dave explaining to him that you know this had to happen for him to go. So Adrian, I call Adrian. In the meantime, Adrian had made plans to go fishing with a friend of his later in the afternoon. I had lent him a kayak. And when I got a hold of Adrian, he had already taken run shuttle and taken my my truck and trailer back down to the ramp was in his car and leaving to go fishing himself. Oh, no. So I had to call him and tell him, hey, you know, your friend here, Tim, that called you a crazy Romanian <laughs> needs a lift. <laughs> he needs to go someplace to hang out while these other two guys fish. Um. So he wasn't too happy about that, but he reluctantly came back and helped us load the kayak up on the trailer and drove Tim back down to... The ramp. Actually, we started our trip and we were catching some fish and enjoying the day. And I thought to call Adrian. I think Adrian called me. Okay, well, you know Tim's down there at the at the ramp. He's fine. Everything's good. And I said, you you left him at the ramp. I mean, this it was like ninety eight degrees that day or hundred degrees. And there are no facilities at the ramp. There's no water. Um, It's it's pavement. There's
1: really very little shade. So I assume this is summertime. Yeah, yeah it was August. And, and I've been to South Carolina in yes. August, and it's uh, there's no there's no reprieve from the heat. You get in the river, and the river's hot, like it doesn't feel good. You
2: know, yeah, luckily tough. where we are, the the lower Saluda is a um, a tailwater, so we have trout year round here. Even even in the heat of August, you really? can catch trout. Wow. Yeah, it's a unique fishery. It's it's a really neat place. That's
1: a little reprieve. <laughs>
2: Right. Of course, where he was, he was on the warmer side of the river down where the warm water river connects with the Saluda. So not so much, not so much help down there. Um, And I I said to him, I was like, well, you know, he has nothing to drink. I mean, what's he going to do down there? He says, well, he said, if he gets hot, he's going to hop in the river and take a swim. Mm. (laughs) And I mentioned to Adrian that another friend of mine that helped set up a trip a week before had noticed the six foot alligator at the ramp. Oh, no this might not be the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> I I told him, I said, you know, you're going to have to go back and find another place for him to hang out. Uh, I suggested he go to the, the Vista, which is a kind of bar, touristy bar and uh, and restaurant area here in, in Colombia. I said, you know, hey, if he wants to hang out, and see, the Vista is a great place for him. Tell him to go down there to a bar somewhere and, and hang out and, you know, Adrian at this point really doesn't want to go back and get Tim again and, and take him somewhere else, but he grudgingly does it. And and uh, um, even then, Tim needed convincing to go. Uh, so I put Dave, the other guy on the trip with me, on the phone with Tim, and it, it was almost like Dave was his counselor. I mean, he's Dave seemed to run the show among the three guys. It's yeah, he was he, and he he got got Tim to agree to go to the Vista. It all ended up with with Tim uh, spending the day at the Catholic Church downtown. That's where he decided he wanted to go.
1: <laughs> That's terrible. And how was the fishing?
2: The fishing was pretty good. I mean, we ended up catching a bunch of stripers. Uh, Max said like he caught some stripers on on sliders that he saw hit like not twenty feet from his from where he was standing um it was a lot
1: of fun uh so. <sighs> uh so 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 bring us to the end so you got you got one guy at the catholic church you got two guys the river with you it's past dark has an end well i i dropped the guys off
2: and at at the ramp they, they got happy? in their car oh they had a great time yeah I mean I've been in touch with them since then. They they really enjoyed it. Actually gave me a really nice review online.
1: Nice.
2: Um I don't know that Tim was real happy. Yeah,
1: well, that's on him.
2: <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah.
2: Um but no, I mean they ended up picking Tim up and
1: that's a that's a long day to be all by yourself in a, in a strange place. Uh, yeah. And I would define a catholic church as a strange place. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's that's a great story. So the the really takeaway here is when you're interviewing clients, maybe you want to talk to all the clients.
2: Definitely, yeah. So, you, I, so
1: you know exactly what you're getting yourself into.
2: Right, and and I think you know I I kind of Dave seemed to run the show of in the trio, so I, I got the feeling that he knew exactly what was going on. But right. um,
1: so he was Mo. <laughs> yep. And then and then it sounds like the guy in the church was Shemp. <laughs> well, that's that's great stuff. Uh, so um let's say I'm I'm in down your way and I want to fish with you. How do I find you?
2: Um you can well you can give me a call. Not uh, me, but if if I got gotcha. I
1: mean if someone if one wanted to hire you, <laughs> I'm not going to pay you. I'm going to fish with you as a friend. But if one wanted to hire you, how would they do that?
2: Uh, you can go to www.franksflyarts.com or look us up on Facebook, Frank's Fly Arts on Facebook. I made the name as long and complicated as possible uh, so that if you ever learn it, you can't forget it.
1: <laughs> yep, I just wrote it wrong and wrote franksfarts.com. And that
2: oh, my wrong. brother, that's all the time. Amazing James loves this name because that's exactly <laughs> how he pronounces it. <laughs>
1: That's fantastic, so that's really good stuff now and and you're a fly tire, right?
2: absolutely yeah. um, when I started when i was I started when I was eighteen years old and and it, I was a very hard convert i you know I lived about four blocks away from a fly shop on in Huntington station called the campsite. The campsite now is the only privately owned fly shop on Long Island up in New York. Um, they are, they do hunting, fishing, and camping. And I would walk in there when I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old. Um, only at, as a last resort, if I needed bait hooks or if I needed lead weights to go flounder fishing in the Harbor, um, on a Sunday, I would go in there and and pay the premium price of 20 cents an ounce for those lead weights. Um, in then, yeah, you know, that was that was some hard earned um, allowance money, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> back then in the in the seventies, it it was you know, like ten cents an ounce was the was the going rate for lead weights. Um, but this kind this gave Charlie Nardi the uh, the fly fishing manager at the place a an opportunity to kind of work his way, or it gave it gave Charlie Nardi the manager at at the campsite an opportunity to work on me and, and try to convince me to, to try fly fishing. Yeah. So
1: I, I think yeah, that's, that's, that's how it always is. It's, it takes up one person to really get you kind of in that mode. I know it's going to happen for me. I'm just resistant to it.
2: Uh, we'll, we'll get you started. You can come on down here. We'll hook you up to a bunch of fish. That's one of my favorite things about guiding is that oftentimes I take people who've never done it before and I hooked them up to their first fish. And, and a lot of times that first fish, they don't realize what they've done and, and how big a fish they've caught. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just get su- I just get such a kick out of introducing people to the, to the I guess, the art of fly fishing and sure. putting them on fish. I mean, it's there's nothing like it.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to it, uh, to, to fish with you, and I'm looking forward to my first guided trip. I've never done it. I'm a guide, but I haven't done the work. And so I'm looking forward to my first guided trip. I've already got my first client who's actually a show listener. Awesome. I I prepped him. I said, you understand? I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, yeah, I know, but I want to be part of it. I'm like, cool. Yeah, Michael Michael Crooker is his name.
2: Very cool.
1: Also a Patreon supporter of the show. But the reason I was going into the fly tying is because – in the month of October, the fish nerds put together an effing pink month to raise money for breast cancer awareness uh, and the National Breast Cancer Foundation. We raised almost a thousand dollars, and you volunteered to throw in some effing pink flies to those who donated uh, more than twenty bucks.
2: Yes, I did, and I, I need to tie those up yeah, as soon get, as possible. Yeah, <laughs> what
1: I'm going to do is I'll be I'll be contacting all the winners and everyone who. Uh, who played and letting them know that before Christmas, all Perfect. prizes will be delivered. So it's, there's no rush. Um, but there was a good amount of people who you need to tie flies for, and we really appreciate you doing that. Um, I think, I don't think people donated for the prizes. No one seems ca- to care about the prizes. They seem to care about helping out, which is great. Uh, I That's care about I the prizes because I got a stack of stuff in my office I need to mail. But, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people <laughs> were doing that. Uh, speaking of donations, um, the company called Line Cutters donated pink Line Cutters rings to us. And That's we, cool. We, we I need to them. see some of those. Oh, they're super neat. It's just a ring, uh, and you, it doesn't catch on anything, but it's got like a razor blade hiding in it somewhere. And you just, snap, you just cut your line with it. I can
2: totally see those being useful on the boat when I'm fishing.
1: Yeah, a lot of people attach them to, to the uh, to actually rods and everything. So, but I, here's a really great thing: is is line cutters are going to be on Shark Tank next week? Actually, this week, um, Friday night, November wow. the 18th, and Vance Zahorski, the creator inventor, uh, wanted to come on the Fish Nerds and promote it. Time someone from our show has ended up on Shark Tank, so I'm starting to think the Fish Nerds is a direct line to Shark Tank. <laughs> if you want That's success, amazing. contact the Fish Nerds, and then if you get success, contact the Fish Nerds and bring us with you because we haven't seen it yet <laughs> on our end. <laughs> so we we want to win also, uh, and when I say we, I mean I, I want to win. Dave quit, so just me. <laughs> But anyway, here's Vance Zahorski from Line Cutters. You can find out more at www.linecutterswithaz.com and tune in Friday night, uh, November 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern and watch Shark Tank and see how they do. All right, fish nerds. We're so happy because we have on Skype Vance Zahorski from Line Cutters. That's C-U-T-T-E-R-Z, linecutters.com, to talk about his uh, innovative ring and his trip to be on Shark Tank. So, Vance, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Clay.
1: Yeah. I'm a little bit tired today because I was up late last night. I'm just sure everybody else was as well. But uh, I'm so happy you have time for me because you are a big-time celebrity now.
0: I, I don't know about celebrity, but a lot of people are going to see me, that's for
1: sure. It's it's going to be really cool. Now, let's kind of, before we talk about why you're going to be so popular, let's talk about uh, your product. You've invented a ring called Line Cutters, which is an a adjustable ring that goes on your finger, and while you're fishing, people can just cut their fishing line. you want to talk about how you came up with that?
0: Yeah. You know, it seems like such a simple idea. Um but it really you know, I came up with the idea because I actually chipped my teeth twice biting fishing line. Oh, and
1: you're a teeth guy too, huh?
0: Oh yeah. That's you know you're you're too. sitting there fishing and you know you want to cut off your tagline or you know, something happens and you need, just need to cut quick and you don't have anything handy, you know. I mean, the next thing you do, just put the line in your mouth and bite it and after my second dental deductible <laughs> um you know, I kind of thought, man, you know, there's got to be a better way. And the can't the straw that broke the camel's back is I was surf fishing at a friend's wedding and caught a, about a three and a half foot black tip shark, you know, small shark for surf fishing. Mm-hmm. And when I got it to the beach, it flipped up in my fishing line. And it w- we were using braided line and you can't bite through that stuff. So I ran up to my tackle box to grab my knife and it had fallen in the sand and I stepped on it. And it literally, like uh, an inch over, it would have cut off my little toe. And and that's really when the light bulb went off. And, you know, I was just wearing my board shorts and I'm like, there's, I, this is it. Uh, You know, I did the frustration and I said, I'm going to figure out a better way to cut fishing line. And, uh, you know, long story short, that's how I came up with the idea for the line cutter's ring.
1: It's a fantastic idea. And and I recently received a package of these because you were, you participated in our pink fishing giveaway where we gave away, um, line cutters, rings, and fish nerds hats, a bunch of other stuff for the National Breast Cancer Foundation fundraiser. So thank you for that. But it was my first time holding one. I've seen him on Captain Sean Tibbetts, uh, com. I've seen him on his rings, uh, but, I, but I've never got to hold one. So it was pretty fun to hold them, check him out, and uh, I have to get some for myself now that I've seen him because <laughs> yes, I don't yes. have any for me yet. <laughs> but it's, it's a great idea. And those simple ideas, I think, uh, especially for fishing. Uh, are the ones that I think are the big wins because they make such perfect sense. It reminds me of, you know, the um, when you're when you're there's a there's a tape dispenser you wear on your wrist when you're wrapping presents. It's that kind of simplicity. It's right there in your hand. Makes perfect perfect sense. You also have a uh, line hook puller, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So what's what's been fun, and I, I could have never anticipated it, is this this little line cutters ring. Um, you know, I started getting pictures from anglers that were putting it on their fishing rod handle mm-hmm. and, th- and then I have professional guides putting it on their steering wheel of their boat. So it's, it's just kind of ballooned out there, which, you know, I've been very fortunate with, with all the ideas, um, that have been coming, you know, being sent to me. And then one of our guys, his name is Manny from the Port Afino, uh, professional bill fishing boat. He was saying how he absolutely loves you and Captain Sean Tibbetts actually was one of the first guys where they said, man, you know, I sit down with the line cutters ring and I trim all my, my taglines and I do like, you know, 50 liters at a time and some, they're cutting sometimes hundred pound plus mono. And, uh, you know, Manny, Manny was like, man, now if I just had something to put my hook in, to pull my knots tight. And I'd heard that at some of the trade shows, one guy's like, Hey, do you, do you sell that hook puller ring? And. You know, next thing you know, I had a buddy of mine in Florida that helped me with the design, and we came up with this this ring where you can put the hook in it to pull your knots tight, and it was, really was designed for a commercial application. But now a lot of these guys and girls, uh, you know, that are tired of holding hooks, or the hook has slipped in their hand and stuck them in the finger. Uh, you know, it's really just, it's been a, a very wonderful surprise and, and they've been very popular.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. And that's an aluminum product, right? So not an adjustable thing. Um, people who aren't following you on Facebook should get to Facebook. Go to Line Cutters and you can watch, Advance, you do live streams. Last night I was watching your live stream of you getting ready to pack and ship a bunch of product and you were showing off that hook pulling ring and it's way cool. So I hope everyone gets to Facebook and checks out that stuff. Um, so with it not being adjustable, you have to buy now sizes for everybody. Have you figured out like the most common sizes or are you going to like make them to order? Or how are you going to run that?
0: Man, that's, that's a great question. And <clears throat> hopefully one of our listeners can send me an email with a magic solution <laughs> because, uh, yeah, the, 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 so the challenge is when you, when you're pulling hooks tight or knots tight and you put your hook in the ring, let's say you're doing like when we tarpon fish in the keys, we're using a hundred pound fluorocarbon, well, in order to pull that knot tight, if you're doing a polymer knot or, a, you know, standard fisherman's knot, there's quite a bit of force on there. So I couldn't go with a, my first, you know, shot at it was Velcro. And then I tried rubber. And so the challenge is when you pull that knot tight, it's putting a, a fair amount of pressure on the ring and the Velcro one not hold. So we decided to do aluminum. Well, as you know, just like wedding rings, as I found out, there's a bazillion, sizes you know from a manufacturing standpoint and then you have women's and men's sizes Mm -hmm. and so you know to carry the inventory and to build all of these rings and try and appease everybody because I really want every angler to be able to get one of these rings they're really awesome but man it's it's a headache from you know buying the rings and all the sizes and how much do I order and meeting the manufacturer's minimums that they you know they'll make you do 200 rings I can't just buy five you know, size nine rings, it's 200. So now imagine 200 of those rings for each size. I mean, it's thousands of bucks and, and, you know, I'm not a jewelry guy. I don't know what sizes sell the best. So it's been definitely a wake up call. It's also been fun trying to figure it out, but it's, it's challenging.
1: Yeah. There's gotta be some solution out there. I was thinking about, um, cause I do my ice fish. I'm an ice fishing guide. I'm a, I'm oh, wow. A, I'm a fishing guide, but I, only in, on the ice. That's my, that's my style. And I was looking at the line cutters ring and thinking, man, I would love that for the ice, but I have wear big gloves, right? Now, have you thought about like line cutters gloves for ice fishing? So like on the finger, ring finger on the glove, the line cutter is right there for me. And that well, would because in New Hampshire, by the way, if you catch certain fish through the ice, you're not supposed to take them out of the water. You've got to cut the line in the water. And I've knelt down with my face next to the ice hole in bit line.
0: Oh, my and goodness. if I had
1: one of those in my glove, man, I would be like, Poop, done. See you later, fish.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a great question, Clay. And, and what we're looking at, without really spilling the beans, mm-hmm. is we're looking at we've got probably four or five major, uh, I'm calling them game changers that are going to be coming out. Um, so there's definitely some exciting things that are coming out. But what's interesting is you brought up ice fishing at the St. Paul Ice Fishing Expo we actually got pictures after we we had a really good show and i you know was talking to the anglers i really like doing the shows myself cuz it really gives me a chance to shake hands and and i love fishing so we'd end up talking fishing and then you build a relationship with these guys and girls and then they're like oh man look you know i'm uh, check out where i'm using my ring and we got i still don't know what it is but i got a number of anglers that sent me pictures of the line cutter's ring on a on a spool that they have inside their there's shacks and then the clamshell thing, uh, portable ice shacks, there's those rails in there. Mm-hmm. And so you can literally just use the Velcro or actually get the, a zip tie and put the line cutters ring on a tip up on in your ice shack on the spools or on a, a portable ice shack rail. So if you ever need a cut line, you literally just grab it and just make a loop and just pull it through the ring, and it's just r- always right there.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm loving the idea of that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be experimenting once I get my hands on my own line cutters rings <laughs> to try and see how I can adapt it to my gear. Um, so you you're not just doing the fishing rings. Though. You have lots of other products on your website. Um, what's your besides the line cutters ring? What's your big hit?
0: Uh, you know, the McCain rods mm-hmm. ha- have done really well. In fact, we sold out of the spinning rod. Um, and you know, I got a chance to meet Morgan McCain, who a lot of people don't realize is the founder of all-star rods. Um, in the early eighties and late nineties, they were doing 10,000 plus rods a month. I mean, he met George Bush senior had, had, was fishing in a boat with him. I saw all the pictures. He, I mean, he, he, they Japan, you know, Japan. He flew out to Japan. I mean, he was big time and then he ended up selling McCain rods to Shakespeare, or I'm sorry, all-star rods to Shakespeare. So after a few years, he decided to get back into the rod business and, uh, T Roy, the, from the hit TV show called swamp series, mm-hmm. uh, got in touch with Morgan. Cause Morgan was doing an alligator, uh, swamp series rod. And he's like, man, Morgan, can you come up with a cutter? And so no joke, Morgan just Google searched line cutter and saw my ring, ended up calling me and walked me through who he is and all that. And then we went to a Whataburger. Uh, We each drove an hour and a half to a kind of a halfway point and sat at a Whataburger for seven and a half hours straight. (laughs) We ate lunch and dinner there and just sat in a booth. The next thing you know, um, I talked him into doing a kayak fishing rod. Um, you know, specifically designed for kayakers, and and then we got a Line Cutters Edition Pro kayak rod, and uh, we sold out. So, you know, the Line Cutters ring's been amazing. We're in eight countries, and now these uh, these uh, McCain Line Cutters Edition Pro kayak series rods are are selling really well, which is so exciting.
1: Ah, oh, that's that's really cool, and you can see all this at LineCutters dot com. It's Cutters with a Z. Uh, Vance, I, now I'm going to make you talk about Shark Tank a little bit. I know you can't tell us what happened but don't do it don't do it clay <laughs> i'm gonna ask you some questions anyway about the process of going on okay okay tank. i, I guess, uh, and you're gonna be on on the 18th right
0: yes sir november okay. 18th 9 p.m eastern 8 p.m central on doing, abc
1: are you gonna do a live stream or a live tweet or something while it's on
0: Oh, you better believe it! Yeah, we're gonna have a party, and we're—I'm so excited. Like it's been so long, and I'm so excited. So yeah, you'll—you'll you'll probably be tired of seeing everything I post.
1: I—I uh, I, I love that kind of stuff, and you'll be the third person we've—we've we've had on our show who got to Shark Tank. And I'm—I'm I'm beginning to think that any kind of convers- conversation with the fish nerds is a direct line to uh, Shark Tank. So, you
0: mean you need to be the Shark Tank like the you're you're like the you should be the media guy for Shark Tank.
1: You you uh, know more than anyone. You know, I need to get a pitch I need to go make a pitch to them, I think. So maybe Dave and yes. I can get together and go fish and talk products. Um we got a call from our uh, email from uh, one of our listeners, Michael Kruger, and he wanted to ask you how it feels to be part of the Fish Nerds dynasty on Shark Tank. And congratulations to you on a fantastic product.
0: So Well I was yeah. And I followed you guys before and which is really neat. So, you know, it's neat when somebody reaches out to you and you've never met them, but you know, when you've, when you followed somebody or heard of them, you know, so you, and then you get contacted, It it's almost like it becomes surreal. Like, you know, holy cow, you know, like, yeah. uh, it, 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 yeah, no, it really, it really feels like that versus yeah, just cool. meeting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm honored to be on the show and, um, I, I thank captain Sean Tibbetts for, um, I think maybe introducing you to line cutters and yep. and the guys that, that you had with Tactobite, uh, it's just it's just really exciting to be be chatting with you right now. So yeah, it's
1: way cool. Yeah, Sean and uh, Sean and I met a couple of years ago at an expo, and he invited me to go shark fishing, and he put us on a, a six and a half foot mako shark, and it was. Unbelievable, and he's been my scary friend ever since. So, <laughs> I, uh,
0: I won't repeat some of the Facebook messaging that we saw, but you guys are hilarious. It's so entertaining.
1: Yeah, he kissed me on the mouth. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got. He's a good kisser, but he tastes like mackerel. So, just so you know, <laughs> sign of know. a good captain. <laughs> yeah, that's how, that's how you know they taste like mackerel. So, you went on Shark Tank. In fact, you were going to be on my show a few weeks ago, and you had to skip out so you can go out and record Shark Tank. You weren't able to tell me at the time that's what you were going to, but. I'm now kind of guessing that's where you were headed. Um, Tell us about – so let's pretend I've got a product. I've invented this great media company called The Fish Nerds. Let's pretend it's that. (laughs) And I want to launch it nationally and go big. What's the process like to getting onto Shark Tank?
0: Well, there's there's kind of the old uh, guerrilla warfare tactic where you email and you call everyone you possibly can and you try and – You know, you literally just guerrilla warfare, just uh, go use every possible avenue, LinkedIn, phone calls, emails, talk to everyone. Uh, You know, so that's one way is to try and get a hold of them and get somebody's attention that kind of, you know, brings businesses or invites businesses to, you know, start the process. The other way that you can go is, you know, they have almost like a, a cattle call, so to speak, or they'll have, locations like american idol where you know they'll say okay we're going to be in dallas or we're going to be in san francisco and you show up and you wait in a horrendously long line and hopefully the weather's okay and then you have literally a minute or so to pitch in front of these producers kind of contracted producers and you hope that you catch their attention or you hope there's something you're doing different than the other 900 to 1500 people and then if you catch their eye then it starts the whole process
1: well it's it's exciting now now, which one of those two things did you do
0: uh actually this is a funny story and i don't think anybody knows this Uh, you're probably the second or third person clay um
1: now tens of people will know
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i i actually hired my kickstarter videographer my my kickstarter producer and I dressed up as each shark. Yes, I wore a dress and dressed up as Barbara Cochran, who's one huge. of the female sharks. Yeah, they
1: can pull that
0: <laughs> and I went pull that And we rented a studio, and I did, a, did it in front of a green screen, and I pitched to myself. And what I did is, as I dressed up as each shark, I made fun of their personality or what they're known for. So, like Mr. Wonderful, I said some mean things and spilled wine on my shirt. Perfect. And, you know, so – Long story short, I produced this video, this spoof Saturday Night life skit pitching to myself and it shows myself. You'll probably see it after the show um, and then mailed it in with like thousands of these fake pieces of money and about hundred dollars worth of hundred grand candy bars. Oh my I put the video <laughs> on a USB thumb drive and I mailed it to Shark Tank. And about a month and a half later, I received a call from shark tank, this guy named Steven. And he said, Hey, you know, we're interested. We really like what you did. And, um, I missed his call and, you know, called back and he didn't answer. So I, you know, I thought I blew it. And, um, I was all excited. I'm like, this is it. This is the shot. You know, I knew it was going to happen. And then I never got another phone call.
1: Oh man.
0: Yeah. I I mean, it's still to this day, I just don't understand what happened. So Uh, Another gentleman now, fast forward six months, a buddy of mine who owns Bite Buddy, his name's Matthew, uh, again, a young entrepreneur starting a really cool, innovative product. I met him at the Portland Fishing Show. We got to be good friends. I stayed at his house during one of the expos up there to save money on hotel. And a while later, he said, hey, man, I'm doing a pitch in Dallas. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm going to pitch to Shark Tank. And I said, man, I'm going to be in Houston at the Houston Fishing Show. You know, it's a three and a half hour drive. And he's like, well, if you can make it, I did a, you know, Airbnb, I've got a place you can crash with me and we'll go together. So I literally left the show, drove three and a half hours, got there early in the morning, froze to death for probably three hours and did my pitch. And that's how, that's how I ended up getting on the show.
1: So it was both.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I honestly think they just forgot about me. So, and then they changed staff per year. So it's almost like I just had to like completely start from scratch.
1: Oh man, that's tough. All that work, but you know that really does show. You want to just you want something, you just keep pushing, yeah, until you get there. That's really really great. Now you can't tell us the outcome, but you can tell us how it felt when you walked into the room with the tank. What was your emotions like?
0: Well, you know, I've been watching the show forever, I and remember. so I was very very familiar with the set. And to walk down that hallway was pretty insane. Like it sounds corny and cliche, but I literally had like an out-of-body experience. Like I was watching myself on TV as I was literally walking down the hallway.
1: Mm -hmm. The door's
0: open. Go go ahead. ahead.
1: No, go ahead.
0: Okay. So the door's open and then there's a little X on the floor and you walk up and you stand on the X. And I'd, I'd heard about this or they kind of prepared you that when you walk in, um, you're literally standing there for a period of time before they say go. Uh, So you've got all these cameras on you. You're looking at Mark Cuban and, I mean, Damon John and Lori Grenier, you know, and they're just looking at you and you're looking at them and they're sizing you up and you're saying, dear God, please don't forget your first line, you know, like potentially seven to 10 million people. This is your shot if you blow it. You're, you, I mean, that could be 500 to a million. I mean, literally, I'm, it, I can't even explain. So my leg was shaking a little bit. I had a little bit of cotton mouth. And I just kept repeating that first line over and over. And then they said, go. And uh, I mean, it was it was crazy. It was nuts.
1: It's, it's, it's really amazing. And I've done stuff where I've, I've had to pitch before. I won a, a pitching contest once. And for me, it was I had to just you have to practice it so much that you can't mess up. Is that what you, your experience is? You did you practice like a maniac, so there was just no room for error, or did you just kind of wing it?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. So when you get to when we got to California, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be saying this, but I think I can. Um, you, you do what you do what they call a pre pitch. So and I had no idea. So you you do kind of a dry run pitch in front of like these producers that produce like The Bachelor and Bachelorette. So there's this room where you're pitching and there's people all sitting behind their laptops, like 25 people. So you do this pre-pitch in front of all these people behind their laptops and their producers of, you know, Bachelor, Bachelorette, and Sony executives and Shark Tank producers. And, I mean, it's crazy. So you you do that pitch, which you have to nail, and then you go back to your hotel room, and you don't even know if you're going to get to pitch in front of the Sharks. Now, this is after – months and months and months. So they, you know, they, you know, say, don't go out in the sun and get sunburned or, you know, do anything that'll make you look different, uh, you know, on TV in case we call you. But I was in my hotel room for three straight days, literally saying my pitch over and over again. And my brother was with me who, you know, honestly, I owe the world to for being such a rock for me, but we would go outside in front of the hotel. And then, I would try not to say it when people were walking by, but then I'm like, well, man, if people are watching, you know, it kind of made me nervous a little bit. So, you know, maybe just do it. You know, it's yeah. just, it's just a mental, just, it's just mentally insane. Yeah. And then I, yeah, then I got the call and then, you know, just did the thing. And, um, I, I was so nervous. I kind of messed up the end of my pitch and, uh, at the end, you know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I blew it. My, my producer said I got good news and bad news. And I said, what? And she goes, well, you didn't do what you kind of had practiced, she goes, but you nailed it. And so uh, to this day, I don't even really remember the ending, right. but I know it was good and I trust her. So I'm, I'm really excited to see the edit.
1: Well, that, that's going to be really great. And I can't wait to see it. November 18th, 9 p.m. Uh, was it ABC?
0: Yes, sir. ABC.
1: Yeah, ABC Shark Tank. And of course, we'll be live tweeting and Facebooking while it's on and cheering you on. And I know you can't tell us the outcome. But I think no matter what the outcome is, that exposure for line cutters either way means you're going to sell a ton of rings. And this show is being is going to be come out on Monday, so five days before your Shark Tank appearance. So people right now, if they go to linecutters.com, can buy the ring before the rush. <laughs> so you know it's a good deal for people. Um, now you also sell a sewing product. It's the same product, right? It's
0: Yeah, this is this is this is pretty funny. So there's there's two things that kind of happen. So one is uh, women were actually taking their husband's rings and using them for quilting. And then we have a lot of female anglers that also do quilting. And they started blowing up my Facebook page saying, holy moly, I can take this on planes when they're doing cross stitching or or hand sewing." Yeah, airplanes—they're using them on buses. When they there's all these terms that you won't have any idea because I didn't like chain piecing and these twenty five thousand dollars sewing machines called long arms that they don't have cutters on them. Like it's crazy. So, you know, after getting all this feedback, I'm like, man, I I really think there's something here. You know, the sewing industry or quilting industry is a six billion dollar industry. So I thought, you know what? Why don't I just see what happens? So I. Got a trademark. I developed a new logo called Thread Cutters uh, with a Z on the end and kind of made it a little bit more feminine since that's predominantly the, the customer base. And literally launched it l- one year ago this this week or, or last week, one year ago. At that show, we picked up 75 stores and two distributors in three days. Um, we just had uh, the same show this year, just last week. I was in Houston. And we picked up a Japanese distributor, a German distributor, an, another U.S. distributor, and another thirty-five, forty stores. And literally, this thread cutters division of the company is quickly approaching what I'm doing with line cutters right now, which, I mean, I never would have um, imagined ever. And they're putting Swarovski crystals on these rings, which, I mean, it's just mind-blowing. Like, who would have ever thought?
1: That's fantastic. So, and congratulations on your success. Now, are you now full-time Line Cutter's guy or do you work another job on top of all this?
0: No, I I about a year or so, year, year and a half ago, I went all in. So, I thought, you know, I I think there's enough potential here to go for it and if I don't if I don't just go all in, I don't think I would be able to give it enough energy to really Do what I thought it could do. So yeah, this is this is it. This is paying the bills.
1: Well, congratulations! Uh, It's really difficult industry to make a living at anywhere in the fishing world. It's tough to make a full on living. Most people, you know, do like four or five different jobs to get through it. And you're doing it. You're winning. It's totally cool. Line cutters will be on Shark Tank November eighteenth at nine p.m. Eastern time, and who knows what else time. Uh, And hey, one more thing. Our one of our correspondents. We have uh, these corresponds in California. One of them is named Amazing James and he is a balloon animal expert and he will be using line cutters rings to cut his strings for his uh, balloon animals. He's excited about trying it for that. So we'll share pictures uh, with you of your line cutters ring cutting strings on balloon animals soon.
0: Awesome. That that goes along with scuba diving. You know, you can't cut your air hose with it and then bow fishing and it's just crazy how many you know different avenues. It's just you know I, I'm very for, feel very fortunate and blessed to be in this position. Cool. Thanks, man. It's yeah. I'm I i can not wait for it to air and see what happens. All right. Well, nice. next when I meet you in person, I got to give you a kiss on the cheek. Uh, a t- uh, Sean made me promise. So ah,
1: perfect. Well, I hope it happens. All right. Thanks, <laughs> All right. Thanks, Clay. Bye bye. All right. Man, that was that was that's really amazing. Now, uh, if you could be on Shark Tank, what would you do? What would you sell? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Hurry, quick. <laughs> Uh, I do have
2: a fly that's in production with Rainies. So, I, I'd love to be able to sell more of my flies.
1: Yeah. Somehow I don't. Do You think you can you can make a million on flies?
2: I don't know. I, you know, it's one of those things. Now, I know I won't make a million on
1: flies. I have. Um. Now you 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 fly fish a lot. You catch trout a lot. Do you eat fish?
2: I don't. Um, don't yeah. I I'll eat. A crappie, if I catch a crappie out of good, clean water. Sure. Uh, I like flounder. Mm-hmm. So um, eat fish. Some. Yeah. Some. It's, it's not what I prefer to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not worth wasting a, a good fish on me. Let's put it that way.
1: Right. I understand that. Now, see, uh, one of our things with the show, we always talk about eating fish, and we do that quest to catch all the fish in New Hampshire and eat them all, and we find that kind of a, a, a thing people like talking about, and, and I love eating fish. Uh, but not as much as our fishing uh cooking correspondent Hugo Medeiros and uh he will cook and eat anything uh huh. and he just submitted a uh smoked trout pate story to us uh, oh. for some ra- rainbow trout pate and i and isn't pate liver
2: uh technically i think yeah you're right
1: yeah so and i actually uh yeah i don't i don't there's you know for me that doesn't
2: Sound is appetizing now. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> but, but he might just mean dip. I don't know. We'll see. So here it is, Hugo and his smoked trout pate. I love this guy.
3: Greetings, fellow fish nerds. Hugo Madero's here, cooking correspondent for the Fish Nerds. Check us out at fishnerds.com or search on Facebook for Fish Nerds. Thanks for listening to the podcast. So we got a special treat today. It's a nice uh, fall weekend Sunday here in New England, and the uh, autumn weather has come, which is uh, both uh, it's a bittersweet thing. So that means the uh, saltwater ocean fishing is coming to an end. But the good thing is, is uh, you know, not only the change of weather and the nice crisp cool days are nice, but that also means it is trout season. So here in Massachusetts. The Division of Fisheries and Wildlife does their fall trout stocking um, you know, throughout, uh, throughout the area. So I always look forward to that. Um, it's just fun. It's uh, pretty easy to catch, very easy to catch, and uh, I, I love eating them. So we're going to make a nice special recipe today. This one's going to be really cool. We put some work into it, me and a buddy of mine. So I've been going out and uh, catching as many uh, rainbow trout as, uh, as I could. And I went to uh, my friend's place yesterday, and he is a great smoker. So he has a uh, beautiful big smoker outside in his backyard. We fired that up yesterday, and we spent a couple hours uh, smoking some rainbow trout and some lake trout. That came from uh, the lake trout came from Wachusett Reservoir. And the rainbows came from various ponds around uh, where I live here in Central Mass. So it was phenomenal. Now, I actually started it, uh, I, as I caught the fish, you know, we can catch three per day, and uh, I usually, you know, have no problem doing that. Uh, brought them home, cleaned them right away, and vacuum sealed them so they are as clean and fresh as could be. And then on um, the day before we were going to smoke, I took them out, thawed them out, let them, uh, you know, once they were completely thawed. Then I made a huge batch of brine, and the brine consisted of water, vinegar, brown sugar, salt, uh, lemon juice, cut up fresh lemons, and peppercorns, and I think that was about it. We'll post all the recipes on fishnerds.com and some great pictures too. So they sat in that brine for about almost a full day, probably like 18 hours. And then we took them out, put them on that smoker, smoked them for about an hour and a half, depending on the size of uh, the thickness of each fish. And now what I'm going to make that I'm thrilled about is a uh, smoked trout pate or dip or its various names for it. But um, this is going to be awesome. So right now I'm just going to take the fish off the bone and remove the skin uh, it smells amazing here. The whole house smells like a nice smoky, uh, nice smoky scent in the air. So we're gonna do that, and then afterwards, uh, I'll describe the um, the ingredients that I'm gonna put into it. Okay, so now we have the trout all nice and clean, perfectly. Got all the um, skin off it, pulled it off the bones. Was real careful to get any uh, little bones out. Um, wow, we have a lot of trout. Um, So this came out to, I weighed it so I'd know what to, uh, the ratio of ingredients for the recipe. And it came out to five pounds, seven ounces of uh, pure trout meat, which is amazing. And that's not including one, two, three smoked fish that I set aside that we're going to eat separately. And uh, I don't even have enough ingredients to do this. So, what we need is a one-to-one ratio of cream cheese, some fresh dill, sea salt, white pepper, I used five lemons, and let's see, oh, just a little bit of some um, Cajun seasoning just for some good flavor, but this was way too much, so I only had four pounds of cream cheese. So I put aside some of the uh, uh the trout meat and uh so we're using four pounds of trout and four pounds of uh cream cheese. And actually, no, we have three pounds of cream cheese to four pounds of trout. So that way it'll be um you know, you're getting uh more fish, more fresh fish and uh so we're smoked fish in every bite. So it's a little bit a uh, little bit uh more interesting. So we uh, don't want to uh, be cheap here. Okay, so three pounds of the cream cheese, four pounds of the fish. I used one whole bunch of dill. I have a second one that I might mix in there. So we're gonna mix in. Uh, I took the uh, cream cheese was I let it sit out for about an hour to get a little bit of, a little soft. Mixed all of those ingredients in a big aluminum bowl, and now we're gonna fold the trout meat into it being careful not to mush it too much just carefully folding it in and uh we'll see how that works now just the um just the mix of all the other ingredients by themselves tastes amazing i can barely stop eating them so now we're going to introduce the smoked fish and i can't wait to see what this is going to taste like so let's mix it in okay so i've mixed everything together and made some uh, last minute adjustments Um, I tend to like, for my own palate, I like things sour, so I didn't have any more lemons. I did add, uh, maybe like three tablespoons of raw apple cider vinegar, which I love. I just really like the sour flavor. Uh, also, uh, I added maybe another tablespoon or two of the, uh, Cajun spice, uh, just to, you know, bring out some more flavor. Uh, what else did I do? It was good for salt, Great smoky flavor. Oh, I added uh, a lot, two big jars full of gherkin pickles. So they're the little tiny pickles. I forgot I had them. And they actually, um, they add a little crunch to it and they give um, a little bit of that uh, pickle flavor, which I find is uh, very nice. So we've um, done all the final taste testing. Asked my wife here to taste it for me. She said it tastes great, didn't need anything else. It's now all packaged up in little containers to distribute amongst uh, friends and family. And um, I can't wait to have this for lunch. Thanks, guys. Look for the recipe on fishnerds.com. Hugo Madero signing off. Thanks, everybody.
2: I actually have a guy down here. When I, when I first started guiding, I offered a barbecue dinner on the boat and um, – there's a little barbecue place in West Columbia called True Barbecue. They had just opened the year before, and when I walked in there, their their record for uh, lunch—this is like in a ten-seat restaurant—was something like 580 people. Oh my god! <laughs> the guy, the guy knows what he's doing. Um, and but it, it became too much. I ended up, um it was so difficult to wait. Like I'd have to wait so long to get the meals that it just became prohibitive for me to wait around for him to get the meals together so I could go out on the boat with, with them. Um, but for a while there he was, he was offering to smoke the trout if people wanted to take them mm-hmm. and he would, he did it for free. And let me tell you, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, he would just throw it on the smoker alongside whatever else it was he was smoking up. And uh, yeah, uh, there were a few, just a f- couple of clients who got a really nice smoked trout that that uh, Ernie put together for us.
1: Oh, that's, that's really cool. You know what's interesting about that is you'll find that with guiding, like different locations, different cultures allow for different kind of f- killing of fish. So I'm told in New Hampshire, if you're a fly guide and you keep trout, you're out of business. No one's going to want to hire you. I believe that. But in Maine, it's Maine tradition to do a shore lunch. Now, and, and to give you a bearing of how far away I live to Maine, it's five minutes to a different tradition. Huh. Five-minute drive, same river. Wow. <laughs> but in New Hampshire, you don't eat them. In Maine, you do. So,
2: Our river gets 18,000 trout stocked in it a year. Um, actually, probably more than that. Uh, I've heard as many as thirty to forty yeah, thousand trout like 18, a year. Eighteen
1: thousand isn't that many, you
2: know. But the the eighteen thousand are all dropped in by helicopter in the middle of December. Wow,
1: oh, that's awesome! They do that in New Hampshire. They just bounce off the ice. <laughs> huh, really? <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> they, they do it in the summertime, in the springtime. they did in December <laughs> <laughs> the ice. <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we've had it's it, the the lower Saluda River has been trout for. Probably more than forty years now, and they have never proven that the fish reproduce on their own. The water's clean enough for it, um, the fish are healthy, but there's only a few places in the river that have the correct s- structure for them to to nest what they're kind They're of really fish? Hard, uh brown trout and rainbow trout
1: yeah, so and and we, with, with rainbow trout need a very specific pH to spawn. And it's not just water temperature and habitat. There's a lot of other things involved. And then brown huh. trout are from Germany, right? And, and so they'll find a way. And there'll be occasions where there's outliers who will do it. New Hampshire, we're starting to see some wild populations of brown and rainbows, but they're not big populations, and they're certainly not sustainable populations. Hmm. So it, they will find a way, but they need such specific things so they can do it. They're not as you know they're hardy fish, but not hardy reproducers.
2: So you're saying the rainbows need specific PM. conditions?
1: Oh yeah, and brownies. That, yeah. Well, yeah. That's in fact in May, in Vermont, for example, <laughs> you'll get more wild rainbows than New Hampshire because the hydrology is different, the ground is different, and the water acid levels are very different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But interesting. Fish will adapt over time. You'll have you know that random fish will be able to do it, and of course, if those genes get a chance, you know. Things will happen. It'll change.
2: Well, that's the thing down here. Um, we're starting to see rainbows. Mm-hmm. We're catching, like, st- I actually had a rainbow that I that I hooked in a riffle behind the zoo this season that was probably four inches long. Um, no doubt that fish was spawned in the river. No, they don't stock um, fingerlings? No, no. The fish they stock are eight to ten inches long on average, the rainbows. The browns are... They're much smaller. They're like six to, to eight inches long. Yeah, and um, and and it used to be that they stocked two thirds rainbows and one third browns when they stocked from the helicopter. Um, they just started managing for trophy fish, so they flipped that on its head. Now it's two thirds little browns and one third larger, really catchable size rainbows. Uh, and a lot of those rainbows, they'll. they'll they'll a few of the a few bigger fish, like twelve to fourteen inch rainbows, will be slipped in with the like eight to ten inchers So it it makes for a lot for fun fishing.
1: Now, uh, do you write?
2: I have thought about writing often. I I've never sat down. I I've sat down from time to time to put pen to paper. I, I wrote I wrote a I wrote a short article for the National Capital Chapter of Trout Unlimited when I lived up in D.C. that they published. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really something I want to do. something that I've, I've wanted to do for a long time. I just need to sit down, take the time to uh, remember all the crazy stories that I have from fishing on the National Mall and, and around D.C. and the Chesapeake Bay. And, well, I'm sure uh,
1: – by the way you're talking, I'm sure you've got – you're pent up with stories. I can tell that you're just waiting for someone to ask you so you can just <laughs> vomit out all the stories. And I'm glad you said that because this month is National Novel Writers Month. And the fish nerds are participating by trying to to group or crowdsource a book. Mm. We're trying to crowdsource a book, and the idea is I don't have time to write a whole book. And, Mike, you don't have time to write a whole book. (laughs) We have enough nerdy people who listen to this show where if 20 or 30 people contributed a 300 to 600 or 1,000-word story to our book, by the end of the month, we would have a book that we could put out on Amazon. And you could be a published author. So I'm going to ask you, Mike, to participate in that and give us a story. Absolutely. We've already got about, you know, we only have about six stories so far, so we have a long way to go. Uh, Now, I know my brother,
2: the amazing James, is already. has already done his story, and, and it's a story that I know well. Yeah, um, don't,
1: don't burn it out on us. It's a good
2: one. That was, it was a good one. It was a very good one.
1: Yeah, he has uh, Ryan Dubay, D. Redden from uh, Twitter, has, he's one of our Twitter guys from Maryland, has given us a story. Uh, I've written a story. We've got a bunch coming in. Doc Martin put a story in. We're going to make Hugo do one for us. And Anyway, so if we can get 20, 30 stories in, uh we'll get them all out there in fact the amazing james offered to do the editing for me which has saved me some time so i can focus on editing the show and he could do the editing of the story we'll do all the work of putting it out and laying it out um we don't have any money we don't make money in the show so no one's gonna get paid but you could be part of this and if it goes well we'll do another one in the springtime maybe a how-to fish book on bass or something very specific so that's awesome. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. If you want to get a story into us, any listener is welcome to do it. Clay at fishnerds.com. Uh, if I manage to grab a sponsor between now and the book release, maybe we'll throw in some swag to people who contribute right now. We don't have any money for that, but uh, it's, we're working on it. So things are coming. Things are cooking, man. That's
2: awesome. It sounds like it's time for me to sit down and start writing up some of these memories.
1: It totally is. It totally is. And now we've only got time now for one more thing, and that is Fish in the News. Fish in the News. Fish in the News. And I love Fish in the News, and I don't do it as well as Dave, but I still like doing it. And this has been a hard news week um, to find news that's not controversial. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, As you know, there was a big election this week. And it was a very interesting outcome and unpredicted outcome by most of the pollsters, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. Shocking to everyone, <laughs> myself included. Some are happy, some are sad, and some don't care. In fact, about 50% of the country doesn't really care still. And i, I that's because they didn't vote. I, I assume it's because they don't, they don't wow. care. Wow. So I, I don't.
2: Hard to believe, but I guess true.
1: It would be a very different world if everyone voted. Uh, I don't know how different in which direction, but it would be different, and <laughs> that's for sure. Oh. <coughs> so, but somebody did predict the outcome, right? And uh, a fish actually predicted the outcome. Uh, no way. Yeah, Shanakaya the fish got it right. Donald Trump becomes a 45th U.S. president. This is from the theindianexpress.com.
2: Where does this fish
1: live? <clears throat> India. Oh, so this psychic fish is the <laughs> is the in <chin, laughs> Chennai had correctly predicted the result of the U.S. presidential election a day before, right? Now, one could argue, this is not written. I'm telling you this. One could argue that a coin toss might have done just as well predicting the outcome. <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm not going to make that case for it. You could do that math yourself. A day before voting began in the U.S., it seemed the Demo- it seemed Democrat presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. Had a lead over Republican Donald Trump. But the truth now is out in the open for everyone to slowly take in. Yes, Donald Trump has trumped the 2016 U.S. election, becoming the 45th president of the United States. There's a great podcast called Speak Up for the Blue. They're going to do a whole story on what that means to fishes. We'll let them do the politics. But if you want to hear it, check it out. <coughs> ah, so,
2: so what I want to know is, how did this fish choose? What did oh, well, they but even, Make it two.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you. But even before all the polling and voting counting began, there was someone who knew exactly who will win the elections. Chennai's Chenakia, the fish, was probably one of the first to accurately predict the future of the U.S. Many would remember the Chennai fish from the time it had correctly predicted the results of the 2015 Cricket World Cup semi-finals, declaring <laughs> New Zealand the winner and later even predicted India's fate in the semi-final match with Australia. So this fish predicted... Uh, some cricket stuff, and therefore we should assume it can be anything. <laughs> uh, and when the f- when the flowerhead uh, cichlid fish had to finally choose between Clinton and Trump, the psychic fish went for Trump, and boy, he could not be more right. Apparently, the huh. fish lives in a tank and uh, Chennai's Indian community welfare organization NGO office. It was given two feed sticks with photos of the two candidates on them, and the fish swam towards the stick that had Trump's photo on it. So there it is. That's how it shows. (laughs) Uh, While while back then, many Twitter users refused to believe that the fish was actually chosen Trump, uh, whose crass, sexist remarks have made constant headlines in the past, we are guessing the loyal Trump supporters are having their last laugh now. So there it is. You heard it here first. The pundits got it wrong. The pollsters got it wrong. But a, a little cichlid in India was able to choose the next president of the United States.
2: Do, Clay, do, do cichlids eat crayfish?
1: Cichlids probably do eat crayfish, yes.
2: I, I think it was the orange hair. Like if I was going to tie a crayfish, I would put a little orange hair in there to mm-hmm. to imitate the egg sac
1: mm-hmm.
2: of a pregnant crayfish.
1: Yeah. I, I think
2: that's what it was. I think
1: that's a good move. Um and I, they don't show a photo of they, – so they put a photo of Donald Trump on top of a food stick and a photo of Hillary Clinton on top of a food stick. And they don't show the photo that they use for Hillary Clinton. So I can't tell you what color pantsuit she was wearing Ah, because okay, yeah. uh, color does, does play a role. Might right?
2: have scared him off.
1: <laughs> uh, interestingly, in the photo they're using of Donald Trump is not a red tie, which is a rare sighting. Hmm. to see Donald Trump without a red tie. It's got a blue and white stripy tie on it. Um, but yeah, I, now I'd be curious. Uh, they haven't reported all the things the fish has gotten wrong. Huh. So has it gotten anything wrong is the question I have. Uh, and if so, what's the percentage wrong to write? And is it be- if it's better than coin toss, I'll give the fish credit. Hmm. So, uh, But I might need to get a fish to make my important life decisions from now on. And when one, I'm not saying I would, but one might argue that a, a fish might know better than the rest of us <laughs> in some cases, or it might be wrong. I don't know, and I don't want to get deep into politics, which is why I chose this story. And we are out of time, so i got to move out of the show here. Right. And i got to dump out of the Trump conversation before I get in trouble. So that's it. You have listened to a couple of fish nerds when you should have been fishing.
2: We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on fishing quests, collect crazy fly tying materials, and do all sorts of silly things that nerds do. If you'd like to support Fish Nerds, you can go to Patreon.com
1: and search for Fish Nerds and help us crowdfund this podcast. Special thanks to Vance Zahorski from LineCutters.com. Don't forget to check them out on Shark Tank this Friday night. Uh, Of course, I'll put links up at FishNerds.com. Big thank you to Hugo medeiros our cooking correspondent, and of course, Michael Frank. Thanks for co-hosting this week. Thanks very much, Clay. Sure.
2: And until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds: Sp- spawn early and often,
1: avoid free lunches and attacks,
2: swim against the current every chance you
1: get. And is the show. We'll
2: know there was an article my dad sent me there's this fly that's made with a um like a chartreuse car washing mitt those that has those little fingers the yeah. chenille fingers yeah. uh, have you heard of
1: i was just in the local fly shop up here north country north country angler and they have a new owner, yeah. and he they have them they, they're making them in shop yeah. yeah. them, and they're selling them Oh, that's ridiculous! So they have a <laughs> weekly fly club called Liars and Tires, which I'm going to be going uh, in in a few weeks and, and sitting in on and recording a show. Nice. And last week's Liars and Tires was making mop flies. That's
2: pretty cool. Yeah, I, I haven't fished them yet. I, I've tried. I tried them years ago when they first came out with it, and I, I did like purple ones and red ones or pink ones or whatever. And they worked great on the um, on the bluegills and, and yellow perch and such. Oh sure. But everything I've heard, like Dad sent me a link to an article. I think it was in the New York Times. Where, first of all, they were talking about the uh, squirmy wormy. Yeah. Have you heard of that one?
1: No.
2: Yeah. They um, they said that somebody showed up with those in a at a a fishing contest in Europe somewhere and won the contest, and then they outlawed it. Okay. And uh-huh. and now you know somebody had talked about doing that in the article. So the guy. There was a guy in England who, you know, he thought, no, no, there's no way our educated brown trout in our chalk stream uh-huh. here would go for this thing. And he said he threw it at two trout, and the bigger of the two like rushed it and destroyed it.
1: It looks like a giant grub. Why wouldn't they eat it? I, I'm thinking ice fishing. Tie that absolutely fly on a on a heavy jig head because you need some mass to it. Those are those will float, so you need to really get yeah.
2: Well, I mean, all you need, like you know, they tie those with the pattern that I saw. The guy took .0025 lead and put it on the shank of the hook, or, or non-lead weight. Yeah, you can you get it non-lead
1: have uh, to non- wire too. Has to be non-lead, in New Hampshire.
2: Yeah, and, and and he covers it up with chartreuse thread, and then ties it in front of it so the chartreuse thread blends in with the color of the chenille. Um, but they put a bead on the front, too. So, like, you know, I, I did some today with a bead. They turn out really nice. I mean, it's easy to do. Um, I may throw some of those, like, throw in one of those for each, you know, person, too. Because, I mean, that's the kind of thing, if, if you just want to catch trout, you could float that thing under, like, on a spinning rod, float it under a float of some sort, drift it through, and they're going to nail it. I mean, the thing about it is, it's a it's a caddisfly. I mean, I have a... I have a, cl- a client who. This this would have been my other.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I can't wait to
1: try those things. So, yeah, so anyway. anyway, I got I got to run a but I, my voice is completely no fried, And I just yep. I just tagged you in a post from North Country Angler with the flies from this week, because you can see. Cool. It is. okay, but I, I got to run. Hey, thanks so much for for putting some time in with me tonight. It really it really helps me a lot to have people like you, help me keep the show going. We would I would be failing on my own. So I really
2: oh no, no problem. It. I I appreciate the little bit of exposure and all and.